0: So glad to be here. My name is Sean Fitzpatrick. I'm your host. We're here for part two of a ten-part series with my good friend Lance Lang. Lance, how are you?
1: Highly caffeinated, ready to go. (laughs) Ready to talk about year two?
0: Yes. 2014? Yes, 2014. That is uh, is what we're here to discuss today. But before we get to that, there's a big event coming up Mm -hmm. August 8th. There is. The Celebration of Hope. Now, tickets are going so fast. Why do you think that is? Well, I think people are excited to see
1: Tim Tebow. Yes. They're pumped about Ben Fuller and kind of getting to know his music. Um, We're seeing a lot of new people who haven't purchased tables or sponsored things in the past, which is really exciting and very grateful for all of them. Um, So I think people are are just pumped to see um, what we're going to do and how it's going to look and to come and honor God and, and hear some cool stories. And it wouldn't be the same without you. So if you're listening and you haven't got a ticket or bought a table for your church group or your your small business or just your neighbors or whoever you might want to invite, you need to go to HIA10.com, yes. HIA10.com, and there's lots of levels to sponsor, a few um, opportunities to do that, some, a few handfuls of individual tickets left to be purchased, but Sean's right, uh, things are going pretty fast.
0: Yeah, a lot faster than we anticipated,
1: but that's good. Yeah, I mean, we're probably, when this comes out, we'll probably be 60 days away from... Uh, the event and we might be near closing it off so who who knows what's going to happen so make sure you get your tickets and and then pretty soon after after this comes out or right around the same time we'll be ready to announce the lineup for night of hope coming out august 8th no august
0: 11th 11th, excuse excuse me three (laughs) days
1: later august 11th friday night night of hope so stay tuned for all that it's
0: coming and I just want to say to, to you know close that off, if, you, if you've if you seen Celebration of Hope all over our social media, you hear us talking about it on here, and you're wondering, well, if you guys are selling out, why do you keep talking about it? Because we want you there. We right. don't want anybody to miss their opportunity to come to this thing. So as Lance said, we'll put it on the screen and in our show notes, HI10.com. Um, today, we're here talking year two, 2014. Last week, we kind of went through year one. We talked about you know getting the first home. The first five guys, the first book, a lot of firsts. Yes, for sure. Um, And that's one thing I noticed when preparing for this in the early years. I mean, and there's still a lot of firsts that'll come our way, but the first couple years, there's a lot of just the first time, the first time, the first time. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, as of this recording, you know, we love stats around here. Mm -hmm. As of this recording, over 10,000 people have volunteered with Hope is Alive. Mm -hmm. And over 6,000 meals have been provided for our residents. That's just <laughs>
1: <laughs> insane. Yeah, it's kind of crazy.
0: <laughs> um, but as we said in our last episode, you know, every story has a beginning. So if you would, um, I would love to hear, you know, and I think our listeners would too, some about the uh, early church partnerships, mm-hmm. um, you know, how they came about, who was involved early on, and, you know, kind of the fruit that that bared.
1: Yeah, well, where we're setting as we're recording this, we're probably 500 yards west of the very first church partner that Hope Is Alive had, Quail Springs Baptist Church. Okay. And that was right around this time period. And it just so happened one of our board members and uh, just a good friend of mine and, and our families. Dr. Hans Stillbeck, at the time was the pastor at Quell Springs Baptist Church. In fact, he had come and visited me when I was working at the treatment center that I was at for a while early in my sobriety. So he'd been a part of my story, had known about me through my family, and was just a, a really cool, super cool, generous guy and still is today. And, and so when we began to visit and had those first few board meetings, kind of getting the organization off and running, he talked to me about the need that he saw in the church for... Um, an organization to partner with with churches and pastors specifically to help them walk
0: through the muddy waters of addiction. Yeah, because so, it's got to be. And not to cut you yeah, off, but um, as a guy who grew up going to church and you know from Rockwall, Texas, where there was a lot of churches, I had seen a lot of people throughout the years who struggled on addiction, and you would always hear like, "Well, go to the church next door." Yeah, but what? But they... that's
1: not really the case. Yeah. <laughs> so when the opiate epidemic hit, you know, when I'm a product of that. You know, my, my parents are both pastors. Uh, you know, my grandfather's pastor. All that. You know, where where does the church member go? Where does the pastor send his kid? What what do they do when addiction hits your living room? Right. And that kind of became my uh, pitch, if you will, or the conversation that I would have with pastors for years and years to come. Still do. You know, what do you do when the heroin addict's mom walks into your office? Are you equipped? Are you um, confident in your ability to resource and refer, obviously we can pray, yeah. and God can do an incredible miracle, and he can remove that uh, that compulsion to drink or use, and I've seen that and heard that, but most of the time, you know, God uses programs, he uses people, he uses therapy to help people change their life, and if you've never walked, again, kind of through those dark waters, if it's never hit your living room, truth is you don't know what to do, Right. and so Dr. Dilbeck and I sat down, we had this conversation, and he said, hey, I believe that our church would partner with Hope is Alive and and you could be our addiction a ministry resource, our first line of defense, our 911 call yeah. if you will when addiction hits our members, I mean their families and they come to our pastors for help, we'll call you and you can walk them through what to do and where to go and what are the next steps. And so, you know, the crazy thing is here we are today there's close to 110 different unique church partners all across America wow. um, that are all engaging with Hope is Alive every single week or month or day, uh, both through sending volunteers to our organization and through partnering with us financially. All of which is, you know, helps make this whole thing uh, move and grow. And so it all started there at yeah. Cross Springs Baptist Church, and you know they began to include us in their budget and support us financially. And we began, I began, it was just me at the time, began <laughs> to realize, hey, this could work. Number one, we could help more people. Churches are and should be a funnel for hurting people. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, there are volunteers setting in churches that would love to engage with our organization and our yep. ministry. And number three, you know, they have missions, budgets, and, and finances to help organizations like ours and uh, what we're doing at the time just inside of our homes. And it was kind of a no-brainer. I just... Um, needed to be introduced to this idea and this this uh, concept, and we needed to put some good uh, plans around it to be able to help churches. And, and we were kind of off and running with the first church partner.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, something you said there at the end, how it's a no-brainer, but you kind of had to just, it had to happen first. One of the things that um, is said a lot of at our events, you know, is that, you know, obviously supporters and everybody are a huge part of what we do, but, you know, it costs money to run this thing. Yeah. And so I would imagine that, kind of when that starts happening and you and you kind of fall into a situation like you did with Quail Springs Baptist it's like you know like you, like you just said there's now you've got a whole new area where you can start helping people but it also there's funds coming in That's a little right. bit you know because to help more people is going to cost more money
1: yeah and obviously we would continue to to go and grow and the need would go and grow and and so to be able to rely on some funding every single month was Absolutely game changing. Yeah, and it it really helped me early on begin to to kind of understand the concept of what I was doing. I mean, Sean, to be honest with you, when I started this, I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought a book how to How to Run a Nonprofit for Dummies. You know, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand nonprofits. Um, I honestly had no idea. You know, the fact that. I don't own Hope is Alive. You know, no individual right. owns a nonprofit, a community that's owned by the community. It's owned by the supporters, if you will. And because of the tax benefit that supporters get to nonprofits, when they give to nonprofits, that's kind of the trade-off. You know, we don't pay taxes. Supporters get a tax benefit. And therefore, there's no direct ownership. So I didn't understand any of this. And so as we began to get just the first handful of donations coming in regularly, and and the church partnerships were, those, were some of those early ones, I began to realize, okay, this is kind of how this is going to work. And there are people who not only want to be generous and support it, but also get tax benefits, all these things that are going into setting up a nonprofit. And then I'm realizing, okay, so now we have money coming in. How are we spending that? What are we doing? Um, how are we setting up our receding and our, our tax situation and invoicing. And so, like you said, in the previous episode, social media, I begin to wear a lot of hats. Right. Exactly. <laughs> really, really, right. early on to begin to wear all the different hats. And, and that was exciting. And the truth is like our organization began to really get some momentum as, uh, funds were coming in. It was kind of providing the fuel for this whole thing to be going.
0: Yeah. And like you just said, you're wearing a lot of hats. And the initial goal of Hope is Alive is, okay, I'm going to get this house. Me and five other guys are going to live there. And we're going to find these great new lives. Well, now there's money coming in. Yep. Now they're, you know, like you said, now it's social media is kind of necessary. That's right. For this whole thing. Um, I got to worry about my receipts mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, is there a point during all this? I mean, I'm sure you're having a blast. But is there a point where you're like, I need a little help?
1: Yeah, there was. It was probably not until the next year that I realized that I needed like actual other employees. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I realized like that was even possible. <laughs> I mean, I didn't <laughs> yeah. even think about that. Um, you know, my my wife today and my best friend at that time, Allison was obviously involved in everything. And so she was there to shoulder some load. Uh, vision-wise, idea-wise, creativity-wise. She did a lot of the graphics early on, some of the event planning, which we're about to touch on. Oh. Uh, but, you know, at that point in time, honestly, I was working two or three other consulting jobs, um, and I was also trying to start this nonprofit So I was just trying to figure out what in the world my life was going to look like. You know, I had to live too. And I, you know, when Hope's Life started, we had nothing. And so I wasn't drawing a salary at, at any level whatsoever. You know, it was just kind of the labor of love. It was the calling I felt in my life. And something happened though in 2014, in the spring of 2014. I really can remember this very clearly. I was sitting down in my office at HQ. It was a spring afternoon and I just got off a consulting call I was helping some folks with some marketing or social media or something, and God said, hey, um, did I call you to be comfortable? Mm. And i would never forget it, because those consulting gigs were paying pretty well, and, and I, was, I was like, whoa, God, wait, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you didn't call me to be comfortable, and, and I really felt like what he was saying is, you're either going to go all in on this, or it's not going to happen.
0: Either all the way or none. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and so at that point in time, I quit over the next 60 days, quit all those other gigs I was doing, and we went headlong into Hope is Alive. And all of that was kind of happening at the same time. He was showing me, hey, there's some ways that this could be funded. Um, there's some ideas. I was getting kind of a download all the time from a about creative ideas, different things that we could be doing, one of which we're about to talk about with Night of Hope. And, yeah. and it just began to really realize, okay, this is – this is, not, this is more than just a vision, more than just an idea. The guys in the house, their, their lives were changing. People were calling. They were interested. This church partnership thing was beginning to look like it could be fruitful. And God was saying, hey, man, I want you all in on this, not halfway.
0: Wow. That's quite a calling to have put on your heart. Yeah,
1: oh. I, when it was exciting. And I went from all those gigs to nothing. Um, and the board was nice enough to start paying me $500 a month. And so I tried to make that work Okay, um, while living in the homes and, um, you know, got provided every step of the way. Sure. And that's just the kind of behind the scenes stuff that nobody probably knows. But, you know, when you're starting something early on and, and you're new to it, um, man, there's a lot of risk. There's yeah. a lot of uncertainty. It's not always going to be comp- very clear on what to do next. Um, as long as your heart's in the right place. And, and for us, it was just, how can we help more addicts? How can we help more families Then I think you know, God begins to take care of everything else.
0: Absolutely. And before we move on to Night of Hope, I you know, I love what you just said. When you're starting something, there's always going to be risk. And I would just hope that all of our residents out there, you know, who listen to this or, you know, if you're the parent or somebody who is a new resident, you know, I get it coming in and you're starting a whole new thing. You might be taking a job that doesn't pay as much. You might be, you know, giving up quite a bit. But God provides. Oh, yeah. And he provides a whole lot faster than you could ever imagine absolutely
1: and um you know god you know repaid all the years the locust ate or whatever that verse is i mean he's made it all good all worth it in the long run but there were some definitely some faith years Mm you know early on as we're talking about this it reminds me of a lot of big faith step faith steps that we took and let's talk about the next one
0: yeah absolutely so you mentioned at the beginning of the show that we have night of hope coming up yep it's not our first one no i think it's 11 or 12 something like that um you know The first night of hope is in 2014. Yes. Now, I've, over the years of working here, I've seen posters of it. I've seen, I've heard about the legend. (laughs) (laughs) I know that um, Allison uh, had a huge uh, hand in this, as she has from the beginning, but. You know, talk to us a little bit about what went into the planning of Night of Hope. Like, when you sat down and you were like, okay, Night of Hope, what was the idea?
1: The idea was to take the mask off addiction in a large community event to talk about things that weren't being talked about. You have to understand, like, addiction wasn't on every other Facebook post. There wasn't before and after pictures. Mm. We weren't sharing, uh, you know, not just our highlight reels, but our struggles. It wasn't a transparent culture like it is today. it, It was still very stigmatized. It just wasn't happening, and so it's hard to kind of transplant yourself back there. But that's what was going on, and I felt in my heart um, from really early on like I was going to talk about sobriety. We needed to talk about it. We needed to be on the front edge of it. Everybody needed to know. And I was probably too gung ho, and probably really you know wore some people thin. And I know in the anonymous communities, people were, were really didn't love what we were doing and what I was doing, being so public about sobriety. But I didn't know another way, and I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And And really it felt like there was people that were suffering in silence. Mm. There were moms and dads who needed hope. And um, I wanted to do a big event that took the mask off of it. Yeah, That's really it. I didn't know much else beyond that. Um, But thankfully through the church partnership with Quail Springs and and Dr. Dilbeck and and Ray Griffin over there, they had a shared heartbeat uh, for this type of an idea and an event. And they were willing to let us host it at their church and their new fellowship hall at that time. And, Mm. Um, You know, we looked at a picture yesterday um, when we were with the new staff members of of that event. And Sean, I'll be honest with you, we didn't promote it very well. We didn't know what to do. I mean, (laughs) I I made big posters and put them at coffee shops. I don't believe there was any radio at the time for that event. Um, No TV, certainly. Um, Maybe a little social media had a little bit of an email, you know, list going. But other than that, it was kind of word of mouth and through a few other churches that helped spread the word. And, dude, 500-plus people showed up. 500. And, 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 I mean, honestly, that doesn't seem like a lot today, but it was a ton. I oh, mean, we no. Were, I
0: mean, again, it, there's there's still just one home at the time, right? Yes. Okay, so absolutely. one home and
1: 500 people showed up. It was up crazy. I mean, we had no idea what to do. Um with all the people, and we, and we had no idea, really. Period. And, you know, if you look back at pictures, it's pretty funny at some of the things that we did and some of the decorations we had. But Allie and I did it all together. We put all our marketing material in different Manila folders and slapped ugly stickers on them and put them on these circled tables. And I mean, we, it was it's comical today, yeah. But man, God was in it. Sure, and I don't want to discount that He was in it. Lives were changed. There are supporters that still come to our events that came to that very first one, and they came because they had somebody that they loved that was impacted by addiction. And so thankful to the two guys that spoke that night, want to give honor where honor's due. You know, we were able to to get Sean Sutton uh, the former OSU basketball coach, to come and share his story. And his story was still pretty fresh um, during that time of of his alcoholism was pretty public and what he had gone through with the prescription pain pills. So he got to come and, and share his story. Um, Jim Riley, who's the man who intervened on me and has helped so many people throughout Oklahoma, he came and told his incredibly powerful story. And it was a beautiful, amazing night, and and, and lives were changed. I'm I'm still, look back on it, blown away. But it was yet again another confirmation that, hey, you're on the right track. So here we do. We have the home, that it's working. Hey, here's an event. This seems like it's working. And those begin to become staple parts of our organization. And uh, it all started right there on that night. I want to say it was August 15th of 14th. 14, not that I remember dates, but something like that.
0: Yeah, man, 2014, I'm trying to remember where I was. That's a long time ago. Probably yeah. wasn't doing much good. Probably hammered in a bar somewhere. Probably hammered in a bar uh-huh. somewhere. That's, <laughs> that's, there's a very good very good odds of that. You know, one of the most amazing things about hearing that for me and, you know, uh, for our staff and for everyone around is what Night of Hope has become today. Yeah. It's such an event. Yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty pumped about it. I mean, we ended up doing that every year, probably for five, six years in a row. We had uh, Mike Foster come. We had, um, oh, Daryl Strawberry. That was one of the the biggest nights we had early on. And then Daryl ended up doing, I think, four in a row. We went to other towns and other locations. The, the first one outside of Oklahoma City was at First Baptist Broken Arrow. They were our second church partner, by the way. And so they caught the vision, they understood it, and they wanted to do it. Had a huge crowd there that night as well. I did one in Marlowe, um, did one in Owasso. Uh, Weatherford was amazing. We did. Uh, Daryl Strawberry went out to Weatherford. We did one there. We had 750 people. I never, I never forget walking out. And I mean, every people were hanging over the rafters. It was nuts. Wow. And it was really exciting to kind of take it on the road over those next several years and ultimately um, had a really, really kind of landmark event here in Oklahoma City with Pastor Craig uh, Groeschel from Life Church, And that was, you know, personally a huge, huge thing that he would be willing to do it. And I really think it put us on the map in a lot of different ways. But Night of Hope began to become this thing that people were really excited about, not only to come and celebrate sobriety, but I think uh, normies, you know, moms and dads and and normal people out there in the world found it as a, a... kind of a, a place where they could see the gospel in action and, and seeing people worship in a really um, vibrant way and, and get to kind of touch hope yes. and experience that. I mean, obviously, it's night of hope, and so we put a lot into that experience. And, you know, coming off of COVID, uh, being able to get Brandon late to come oh, man. kind of at the start <laughs> of his um, uh, rise to where he is today. Uh, was a night I'll never forget, and that was epic. And yeah. I'm believing that August 11th is going to be one of those nights, and, and I have a feeling kind of where we are today as an organization that Night of Hope um, is probably back and back to stay and maybe even um, will happen every year. We'll wow. see. Tease, Exciting. Slight yeah. tease there. But Slight we'll tease see. there.
0: <laughs> I remember the night that Brandon Lake was there. That was a night I'll never forget as well. Um, I think – one of the things that I thought was so cool how you said, you know, uh, about the people who come, you know, and obviously it's there to, to take the mask off addiction, but I remember a lady st- standing behind me where I was, I was on the side of the stage taking pictures and there was a woman, she was on the phone and she said, oh, I'm here at the Hope Convention mm-hmm. and the employee in me wanted to turn around and be like, it's called Night of Hope. But I was like, no, let it, let her, okay, that's yeah, fine. Sure. If that's how you're is. feeling right now, if that's. You
1: know. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, to be honest, people don't even know that it's a hope is alive event, and we could probably do better on marketing that. But they're coming for a concert. They're coming because they saw the speaker or whatever. Uh, but they got what they needed, mm-hmm. you know. And and I at the end of the day, and you know, our focus is on those that are impacted by addiction. But I think we've been able to help a lot of other people just to experience hope and and get a breakthrough. I'll never forget this: the one with Brandon Lake seeing a pastor over in the corner um, of, a, of a big church here in Oklahoma City. And he was over there weeping and worshiping, and you know he got what he needed that yeah. night, and I'm not sure what that was, um, but he was able to leave some things at the foot of the cross, and, and that's what it's all about. And I think, I don't know, 10,000-plus people have come tonight, of hope, over the past 10 years, and many, many more will come. And it's a, a really cool way to, again, take the mask off addiction, make it something that is comfortable to talk about to normalize in a way. And I think as we do that, we're able to help people take tangible steps towards freedom. And, and that's really what it's all about.
0: Absolutely. Before we go to break, I would say, you know, my what night of hope was for myself in 2019, I was about four or five months into the whole thing. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I was starting to get the idea that hope was alive was much bigger. When I showed up, I thought it was one house. <laughs> really? And there was houses in Tulsa, in Wichita. We had just opened one in North Carolina. But when we did night of hope in 2019, and... Craig came out and talked, Chris and Mary Cootie just Mm -hmm. performed, Um, Dylan Chase. Yes. Um, And then for me, it was near the end of the event when a guy decided that he was going to go to treatment because of the event. Man, yeah. And I was standing there and I was like, I remember just calling my mom afterwards in tears and I said, I'm a part of something so much bigger Mm -hmm. than myself. Beautiful. And so many of us, when we come into recovery, there's that old self is still there. And when I say old self, I mean, we're pretty selfish yeah, <laughs> and think that we're important. And I remember just being like, this is so much bigger than myself. Amen. Oh, my goodness. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to chat about homes two and three come into the mix. Let's do it. We'll see you in just a minute.
1: Hey, Lance and Allie Lang here today with a very special announcement.
2: As many of you know, HIA is celebrating 10 years of ministry this year. Since 2013, HIA has been dedicated to helping addicts, alcoholics, and those that love them not just find sobriety, but find radical life change.
1: And to celebrate all that God has done over the past 10 years, we're hosting two, that's right, I said two, massive events this August. Just a few weeks ago, we told you all about the first one, which is coming up Tuesday, August 8th, featuring Ben Fuller and Tim Tebow. If you
2: haven't purchased a ticket to this private event, what are you waiting for? Come on, let's go, go to HIA10.com right now. But right
1: well, today we are so excited to tell you all about the second event, Night of Hope. It's time to mark your calendars, August 11th, 7pm at Crossings Community Church. Hope is Alive's hosting Night of Hope. Tell them all about it, Allie.
2: Night of Hope is a worship night on steroids for anyone and everyone who needs a little hope, which is all of us, right? That's right. right. Now. Yes. You can expect to be inspired by incredible stories of redemption, sobriety celebrations, a powerful worship set, and a motivational message from a very well-known speaker.
1: So, do you think it's time to like let them know who's coming? without further ado here's the deal coming to worship with us on August 11th Josh ball hey, my
0: fear doesn't stand a
2: a well-known worship leader from Bethel Music. He has written tons of songs that you love. Stand in Your Love, My King Forever, You Deserve It All, and so many more.
1: We can't wait to worship with Josh and maybe even a few others, so stay tuned. But as Ali mentioned, a very well-known speaker will be coming to challenge us, encourage us, inspire us. Some might even say he's the most inspirational speaker alive. Who might that be?
2: I'll tell you who that is. After an incredible response yes. to our Celebration of Hope event, we had to find a way That's for right. everyone to hear this guy. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, get excited. The Night of Hope keynote speaker is... Tim Chibo!
1: So here's the deal friends, we had such an overwhelming response to our event on August 8th that we decided to ask if Tim would come back to Oklahoma City a few days later and join us so that way everyone who wanted to get the chance to hear from him would get that opportunity. We're so pumped that Tim said yes and he's going to be joining us Night of Hope, August 11th.
2: So here's the deal. This entire night is Hope is Alive's gift to our community. It's a free event. Mm -hmm. We know it will be one for the ages. So the only thing that we're going to ask you to do is to take time to register. Tickets
1: are free, but you will need an electronic one to get in the door. So you can go save your seat or heck, go save a bunch of seats for your church group, your small group, your work friends, your neighbor, or anyone who needs hope. Can you tell them how they can get their seats?
2: Just go to night of hope okc.com right. and register and you will get a ticket emailed right to you
1: friends here's the deal our community needs hope right now and this event will be life-changing for so many people but the only way they will know about it is if you help us to get the word out so please share this video tag some friends in the comments go register at night of hope okc.com make plans to join us and bring a big group of people Start getting jacked up because Night of Hope is coming August 11th.
0: So in 2014, the number of homes goes from one to three. Three men's homes now. That's right. I'm sure it's really exciting. Um, not only because you know this thing is working, but it seems like people are believing. Mm-hmm. Um, and things are just kind of going your way. You know, you've just had a sh- an event where a shocking 500 people show up. Yeah. You're partnering with churches. Things are just kind of starting to form. But two more homes means 20 more lives. That's right. That are now under the umbrella of Hope is Alive. Yeah. Just talk about that a little bit yeah. and kind of how that felt.
1: Well, I mean, first off, we didn't open a second home for a whole year, you know, and so here we are, summer of 14, and I felt like we began to have some traction with some treatment centers and people had begun to call. There was interest. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons we probably didn't open the second home faster is those guys never didn't leave. So we didn't even have any openings. And okay. Again, I didn't have any kind of big pie in the sky vision or world domination or anything in my mind <laughs> at that point. And so we were just trying to feel it out and figure it out. But, um, you know, we rented the first home, we rented the second home and that, that came through a guy that I went to treatment with and he was getting married, and his uh, fiance's home uh, was small, and they are about to move into something bigger for themselves. They wanted to keep it, and they said, hey, would you want to rent it? And, you know, for what we do, sober living houses, you don't always get people that want to rent their homes to you. Sure. <laughs> and so here we are. It happened again. Wow. And so I have a picture. I, I never forget. You know, we signed a little lease amongst friends. You know, we were, and there we were. We had home number two. And that was the summer of 14, but that comes with things like, well, who's going to manage it, you mm. know, and how, what are the rules and taking a step from, um, you know, two to three is something, four to five is something, but one to two is a big step. Sure. I mean, you're just completely having to, to, to figure out a lot of firsts Yeah, again, again, yeah, you know, and what it looks like in monitoring rules. And, um, you know, we did a lot of things not well early on and we learned a lot from all of that but that first house manager was really crucial the both of them that moved over to that new house they moved from hq with me into the new one and we began to get new guys coming in and get some traction and people kind of liked what we were doing and again i think a lot of it was cultural i think a lot of it was the opportunities guys were having to meet new people in the community through sunday night meetings i think uh, there was some attraction with the fun we were having um, you know we were posting the pictures on social media we're going to the movies. it it's was
0: not just a drug test in a bed it was very different
1: and um, it's it's hard for people to understand you know what how different it was mm-hmm. knowing us today but it was so polar opposite than anything anyone was doing and I think it was attractive to a certain type of of guy at the time who's mm-hmm. trying to get sober probably 25 to 35. Really looking for that next step, wanting to be around other people who were sold out to sobriety, and we began to get more and more more calls. And at the same time, I was trying to figure out, okay, how can we get more homes? I'm beginning to kind of get some some thoughts in my mind about vision. Okay, this thing is working. Right, you know me pretty well. You're smiling right now. I mean, so <laughs> my mind, my my mind is beginning to churn, and so I start to to realize that I hope it's alive is not really in a place where a bank's going to give the organization funding. We really weren't set up quite yet. I was trying to get a donor base going, things like that. We're, we're, we're getting off the ground, but not not really anything you could count on. Um, so I was able to convince a friend of mine, actually a guy I played football with back in Pryor, Oklahoma in high school, was a banker, and I called him and began to talk to him, and, and he, through some, some other ways and, and some, some good graces and everything else, some faith, gave me a loan. Wow. And so was able to go and get the the third home and I bought it personally and we were off and running. And so there we were, you know, from the summer of 14, I think the third home opened just like 3 months later. Yeah. So we went from 1 to 3 really really, really fast. Really quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, I never so, knew that. Yeah,
1: so you know there we are at 20 20 plus guys and and we're beginning to learn all the things we don't know. <laughs> um, but we were having a great time. And the Sunday nights were getting more and more vibrant. And that's probably when the first Brag on a Bro happened. Kind of going back in history a little bit. I can remember there being a, a room full of men at HQ. We're all around that table at Sunday night. And I can remember saying something like, we need, there we, was low energy. And I was like, we need some encouragement in here. Yeah, Somebody needs to stand up and, and brag on a bro. You know, like the saying just came out of my <laughs> just mouth. Just came to you. And I was like, let's do it. A- drum roll and people start drum rolling if you know anything about Sunday nights that's what we do Yeah, across the country still today we do a drum roll we do brag on a bro we do sister shout outs and, you know, those kind of cultural moments early on were, were really cool to think back on what God did and trying to implement that um, in different ways throughout the country as we grew. But that became a staple part of what we did on Sunday nights. And and I think it became a huge part of our culture, you know, that we stand up and we recognize those that are doing well. We speak life into them. Yeah. We honor them for what they're doing. And not only is it beneficial to to receive a, a brag, but it's also really beneficial to give one yeah, it gets us out of ourselves.
0: I mean, speaking on Brag on a Bro and the many uh, spin-offs of it, staff shout-outs and sister shouts and, you know, everything else that, you know, even Slack shout-outs, yep. um, you know, when you think back on that to Brag on a Bro, I mean, I, if those listening, if you don't know this, every program manager across the country does this every Sunday night and they introduce it by saying, this is Lance Lang's favorite part of the evening, Brag on a Bro. Um, how important is it, do you think, to, you know, just to kind of expand a little bit, you know, you never know what kind of day somebody's having. No. I mean, that a brag can save a life in a Absolutely. lot of cases with well, what we're it can, doing.
1: <laughs> it can keep somebody there for a couple of days, and you never know when the miracle's going to happen. And, you know, a lot of these cultural components that we do from the outside, it might not make sense, but we were super intentional – Um, I tried to be super intentional from day one with the different things that we were adding to the program and Allie just made everything better and more beautiful. Like I always say, she took everything up a notch, but the cultural components of brag on a bro sister, shout out culture night. All these things were with the intention of what we, what could we do to help men and women stay in the homes? Right. Because we know if they will stay, then God will do the rest at the right time. Yes. But the truth is that the world is pulling them out every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, the devil wants doesn't want them in the home. Uh, you know, families want them back in their lives, understandably. But professional life pulls them back. They don't want curfew. The world's pulling them away. Yes. From the best place that they can possibly be, and yes. so everything that we've done is to try to help men and women stay for as long as they can until that miracle happens in their life, and they realize that. Uh, They're in the best possible place that they can be um, to build that foundation underneath them of both sobriety and faith and finances and life skills and family restoration and everything that we do.
0: Yes. So good. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, you know, we'll, and we'll talk a little more next week about uh, what Allie brought to the table, but um, you know, now it's starting to become a program Mm -hmm. more so. And I said this earlier, you know, so much more than a bed and a drug test. And I think that's, uh, What's so amazing about the story of this is that finally guys are, I'm sure, you know, word of mouth through the churches and through everybody else. It's kind of getting around that like, oh, no, like you're not just going to be required to pay rent and then stay in this room. And I think for a lot of people coming into sobriety, it can be that can be good. It can also be a little overwhelming when you show up and they're like, hey, we're going to be doing this together on this night. We're going to be doing that. How did you kind of balance that in those early days or did it just kind of come naturally? Well, I think it's because
1: I was involved with everything. I was never going to ask them to do anything I wasn't willing to do. And so if it was to go and speak to a bunch of eighth graders in a high school or in junior high Sunday school class in some church, I'd take them with me and they'd come and do it with me and, and they'd be a part of that. You know, if it was volunteering on a, a Saturday morning at, at a shelter, we would do it. If it was an A meeting at night, you know, I was there with them. And, you know, I think that enmeshment with the residents, I was one of them. I was still growing, and I was early in sobriety no. at the same time. I'd never viewed myself any differently, and I'm certainly not. Sure. But I just think the fact that, you know, the leader needs to be involved. And when, yes. when the leader is involved, people will follow, and they'll buy into the vision because they're buying into you and I can see that today. I don't know that I knew it then, mm-hmm. but as I look back and I think about that question, because we, we have been able to get men and women to do things that other sober livings could have never fathomed that right. people would do for their betterment, by the right, way, right? exactly. You know, and we'll talk about all that with Alec. Cause she brought most of that to the table, but I think um, early on we were able to really create that momentum and that culture because I was right in the middle of it.
0: Very good. Love that.
1: So recapping year two and getting into year three, Here's the thing, you know, Night of Hope, huge thing. Church partnerships, we're off and running with them. So more people are calling and more people are are seeing interest. Um, The homes are filling up all three of them. But what came from a lot of that is this overwhelming need. We needed more structure. Mm. We needed more programming. Mm. And we were beginning to see how many moms and dads and loved ones were calling and buying my books and reaching out for help. And this all segues into what happens next year.
0: Wow. So next week, big episode, please, please, please listen in as we start to cover year three. If this is your first time listening to the hope dealers podcast, uh, be sure to subscribe so you can catch every episode that we'll be doing with Lance Lang, uh, leading into celebration of hope coming up on August 8th, go to H a 10.com today to get your tickets to, for a chance to see Tim Tebow, Ben Fuller, a word from our founders, as well as a live painting and many other fun amenities coming that time. Um, Follow us on Instagram at Hope Dealers Pod. Like, subscribe, five stars. You know the drill. Thank you all so much for listening as always, and we'll see you next week. This is the Hope no Dealers Podcast.
1: A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back take my time, Just enjoy the ride.
0: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW.